missed his chances. Oh, brilliant goal! A brilliant goal! Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. Pirlo, 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 ancora, Pirlo, di tacco, tiro, What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Footy Fans Podcast. Andrew, Santo, and Joe. Everyone's favorite podcast, unless your name is Tino, Timo Werner. Um, you can get us on Twitter, Instagram, footy underscore fans, fans spelled P-H-A-N-S, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Boys, what's going on? What's up? Got a uh, good amount to talk about with all the events uh, happening on the weekend. I uh, got a lot of things coming up with the World Cup. And uh, the new FIFA show, which uh, we'll get into at some point today, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Might be like another recording. We might do an episode after this one and release it sometime in the week. But yeah, we're definitely going to try and get into that FIFA documentary out on Netflix. Four part episode or four part. Yep, yeah, four episodes per four season. part series. Four part series. I wanted there to say go. that, but I <laughs> fucked it up. Yeah. Four part series uh, all about the FIFA scandal. Basically, I don't even know where it's really started from. Mm-hmm. It might just be like all time or yeah. since Sepp Blatter took over um, leading up until now Qatar. Did you I actually just saw today actually on Twitter that Sepp Blatter came out and said that Qatar was a mistake. Yeah, he apologized. Like he came out and said himself. I didn't see yeah. that. I didn't, read, I didn't read the full article. But did you see it, Joe? I didn't read the full article because um, I know they've had tons of issues and I know a lot of German teams are uh, protesting it because well, I think 15,000 people died like with this or something like that i'm wait, not sure wait. yikes yeah like there was issues building the stadiums like a lot of did a lot of deaths i think i'm not totally Jeez. sure i don't know you can yeah. look at it i don't know don't quote me on that it was like harsh it. harsh working conditions uh, yeah human rights um violations left and right from the construction companies from the government mm. whoever was in charge probably the same people to be honest the government yeah. probably in charge of the, the whole thing but yeah the um the fifa documentary is definitely gonna dive into a lot of that so we're going to bang this episode out, maybe record that one later on tonight. If not, we'll get to it sometime next week. Hopefully, before the World Cup starts, mm-hmm. we'll get all those reaction episodes out to you guys and also a maybe World Cup preview or, you know, during yeah. the World Cup, obviously, it's a month-long process. Premier League won't be going on, so we'll definitely get together yeah. uh, throughout the weeks of the World Cup and recap anything that's big that's happening, happening any upsets, any uh, good content coming your way. We will get it to you. But before that, the Premier League action on the weekend saw Man City get a last-minute gift from God, is what <laughs> I put down here in my notes, to come against Fulham 2-1 victors. Uh, the whole thing kind of started off with, well, well, we'll talk about Alvarez first, actually, with the goal. Um, Haaland not starting this game, coming off an injury. I think he didn't play the game before as well. Uh, or was the Champions League game beforehand he didn't yeah, play? Yeah, I, I think it was Champions League. Uh, I think that game was already sealed for them anyways, like their position on the group. So made sense for him not to play that match, but didn't start against Fulham here. Uh, he did come on later on in the game, and we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But Alvarez 
uh, making the most of his opportunities. And man, mm-hmm. he's he can get goals too. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the commentator said that Man City was kind of lacking a number nine striker for the longest time, and now they have two in the same season with Haaland and Alvarez. You can kind of go hit or miss for either one of them. Yeah, I think we would all choose Haaland over Alvarez though if we had the choice. Mm-hmm. But like I said, he's making do all his chances that he gets and opportunities. And Pep's got to be looking at him at his bench, saying like, "Who should I play sometimes?" Because like Alvarez might get hot, Haaland might stay hot. Um, <laughs> you never know, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, I think by anyone's standards, if he had his goal to playtime ratio, um, right, yeah, you know, anyone would be pleased with how he's performing. Um, because he comes on, he works really hard, and he's been getting a pretty goal, pretty good goal, uh, to playtime conversion rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even with that, with the goal, um, you know, showed a lot of confidence, even just the way he hit that, like he hit it, like, yeah, as hard as he possibly could, I think. Yeah. Uh, which I think a lot of strikers will try to place that um, for fear of, you know, just really making a mess out of it. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool to see how he just like took his chance and just like blasted it past uh, Leno. And I think it was had way too much power behind it for him to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you got to touch on it. But yeah, Leno made yeah. it look nice too. He hit it dead center in the net. Yeah. Like he put it, he didn't put it to either side of Leno. I know the angle was kind of against him. Mm-hmm. So all he could basically do was rip it, which he did. I'm not putting him down for the goal like it was a nice goal but what the hell if Leno just stands there he stops it mm-hmm. but he went down super early yeah and just let it like waft past his head yeah yeah I mean I guess well I mean like sounds like credit to Alvarez for yeah he just has a lot of confidence for a young kid like he, he works really hard and he just he's very direct which is nice to see and he doesn't really hide which is nice um so yeah they man said he really got a good deal they got Halland who's just there out and out, number nine, clinical guy. And then they have a really, really good backup in Alvarez who's, you know, up and coming, you know, who know, especially under Pep, which is why I really like Pep above a lot of other coaches is he can take these young guys, like you look at Foden and you look at a lot of other players like Maras and Goncello who struggled at the side that he really makes players better. So you look at guys like Alvarez and even this Palmer guy who's kind of reminding me of Foden, like just getting in like the 87th minute. So who knows how good Palmer is going to be in like three to five years. So he's just really good at developing players. So yeah, it's going to be exciting for Alvarez to see how good he actually gets under Pep uh, as long as he stays patient and stays there. Is there a chance that Alvarez could go to the wing potentially and play him and Hound at the same time? Or could they even do thing two circuits together? I think they have done that. I know against, I forget who, but they have played Haaland and Alvarez at the same time and they played more of a 4-4-2 in that case. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, they'll... Maybe staggered though, like yeah. one withdrawn a little bit. Yeah, so I know they will they will play them at the same time and then you'd have like Foden and Mares on the wing and then you have like Gundogan and Rodri or De Bruyne and Rodri or someone in the middle. <laughs> so nasty. <Yeah. laughs> and which basically means it's a 4-2-4, which is fine. They can actually do that because they're... Uh, their spine like at the back and in the middle is really good yeah so yeah it's pretty dirty i wish my team was dirty um yeah so alvarez took the lead for them and 12 minutes later a guy joe just talked about cancello who has become probably the best right back in the league maybe like up there yeah in terms of creativity yes uh since his arrival from Juventus, which was this terrible transaction for Juve um but since his arrival he's really stepped up and like been you know one of the first guys on the sheet for Pep 
He wears number seven. He's a right back. He's just like it's such a dynamic <laughs> number seven right back. Such a dynamic best. player. Yeah. Uh, but he basically made his first real screw up of his Premier League career. Red card, um, taking down. Ooh, I forget who it was who took down the box there. I'm not sure. Anyways, he took down a Fulham defender, a Fulham attacker in the box. Red card given. Yeah. For the foul, penalty shot given. Uh, the shot was tucked away by Pereira, yeah, the ex-Manchester United uh, player. And just like that, the game was 1-1, and we had a game on our hands because Fulham really did need Man City to go down to 10 men to really have mm-hmm. a chance in this game. It was mm-hmm. basically all Man City from the get-go. That, obviously, like we've seen before in many other instances, turned the game on its head. And, I mean, Fulham second half, they were taking it to him, and they both had chances to win. Um leading up to uh, the eventual winner of the game. But throughout the rest of the match, it was pretty neck and neck. What's mm-hmm. your guys' take on the penalty shot, though, and the card? So I already talked to Joe about this, where I was a little confused. I guess I have to check what the actual rule is, because and I'm comparing it to Windsor and District travel. But as far as I know, we follow the same rules as FIFA. I was told, because I was actually in a situation where this happened, where if you're in the box and the last man takes you down from a clear goal-scoring opportunity, you get the PK, but it's not a red card because getting a red card and a PK against you, I guess they deemed it too harsh. Uh, so I guess that was a rule because I what happened was we were playing, uh, when I was on Chicharo, we were playing Crow, and uh, Santilli got the ball. And he tried to turn with it, but he took too heavy of a touch. So I got the ball from him. And I was literally from me to, like, the wall away, which is, like, six feet. But to put it in open net. But Santilli just, like, you know, grabbed my shoulder, kind of pulled me down. Not, like, maliciously, but just, like, brought me down. Uh, Obviously, uh, ref gave a PK, but he came up to me um, because our whole team was, like, why is he only getting a yellow? Because he just got a yellow for it. Mm. And the ref came to me. He said it's a new rule in FIFA that if you're the last man and you bring someone down in the box from a clear goal-scoring opportunity, it's only a yellow because they're getting a PK out of it, which is going to be the benefit. Right. It's kind of like a pick-your-poison kind of thing. Yeah. You can't get <laughs> double punished. Right, yeah. exactly. So I think that was a rule that I thought FIFA came out with. So that's why when he got the red card, I was surprised. Not because, you know, he did he did take him down. It wasn't really a malicious tackle. You know, in the middle yeah. of the field, it would just be a uh, yellow, yeah. maybe. But... When he gave the red card, that's why I was surprised because Fulham was getting a PK, so I didn't really think he would have got a red for it. Yeah. Because I thought that was the rule. Because I think the actual rule is it's a yellow if you make an honest attempt for the ball, and it's a red if you don't, which is weird. because I think not here. Huh? I said he did not go for the ball. Well, but it's interesting because you... And this is with a very big gray area because you're technically playing the ball if the ball is within your, the reach of your foot. Like that's the rule. That's why you can like use your shoulder and shield the ball, right? And but you're still playing the ball if it's like close enough to you. Here is like up for interpretation if the ball is close enough to him because from there it looks like the ball is only like two three feet away from him. And he could like get it with his left foot because that's the gray area right here, which is a kind of confusing. But like to Santa's point, Santilli should have got a red card in that instance because Santilli was for sure not playing the ball. Mm-hmm. Here is like that gray line. It's like how what's shoulder to shoulder is the ball close enough there's a lot of factors i'm not totally sure because again <laughs> i don't know what the rules are anymore but i see that you have the similar tackle of arnold on i forget who it is from the uh, i think that's um yeah oh man. 
Alexander Arnold, and I'm not sure, but <laughs> that's more what name. Arnold does here is more of a PK than what Concello does because Concello's more shoulder to shoulder, and Arnold's is his arms extended. His arms extended into someone's back, which that's is like what the heck. This is so we're watching the replay right now. I found the clip on Twitter. It has a double box of the Concello foul and the Arnold non foul against Tottenham on the same weekend. Yeah. And there, you know, the big Twitter debate is always this is given a PK and a, and a red card. This is given nothing. And again, this is another case where I was yelling at my TV, which I'll get to later about another instance. But I was yelling at my TV in this Tottenham Liverpool match because I was saying that is a foul. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. we, we talked about it last episode, I think, <laughs> on our podcast. If you if it's a foul in the middle of the field, it should be a foul in yeah. the box. And I, what Joe alluded to, Arnold literally extends his arm yeah. on a player who has the ball at his feet. In the ba- in, in the, the back box too, and just brushes him off the ball completely, and there's no flop involved. I remember seeing the reverse angle of the Tottenham Liverpool replay, and yeah, I forget the player's name too. Actually, I can't see from this far away. Lucas but Mara. Uh, yeah, it was Mara. Okay, from this angle, oh, sorry, from the reverse angle that I saw, he was like propelled into the air. Yeah, like he did not flop at all. No, and neither did the case actually the I don't, game here because like he got bowled over. I don't understand how like because you look at the Arnold thing and there's the. And I know there's a lot where, like, you'll see this, and you'll see a, a, a defender put their their arm on the striker's back, but not extend it, yeah, and the striker. Yeah. So it's like deceiving. Here, it's like very clear, like extension in the back. So to me, that's way more a foul than what Concello. Because you look at Concello, it's like very shoulder to shoulder. Um, whether the ball is close enough is up for debate. Um, but I don't understand how Vieira looked at the Alexander Arnold thing and said, like, "Oh no, I don't think they looked at it." I mean, they had to have looked at it. I was, it makes I was no so, sense. I was so incredibly upset. It makes no sense. I, I had no stake in the game of this match, and I was just watching it as a you know neutral fan. I said, there, like, how is that not a foul or a penalty? Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. And this was actually taken after the Fulham match, I think. Yeah. The yeah. Fulham Man City game. Yeah, and that's that's my whole thing. Like, if, if Concello's thing is a red card and a foul, fine. But then every other instance make where it, it happens has yeah. to be make it the yeah. constant. Right? Make it the constant. I, I do want to get clarity on the whole red card PK thing because you know if that's a rule, they have to be consistent with it. Um, if if it's like Joe said, where he didn't make an honest attempt for the ball, I think that's even a little more gray because like what's an said, honest the, attempt for the ball? The balls. Well, he didn't do that here at all. But that's you see from the, you see from the second angle he's not even look his eyesight is not even at the ball watch him on this angle here he's looking at the player the entire time yeah and he just literally <laughs> trucks into him like he does not make any like his foot does not extend to try and play the ball it's a full on shoulder to the back yeah. and well done with the striker too as a young kid um oh who was it Mitrovic was out for this match so I actually think this guy I forget his name um got the start. And young kid, and he did the right thing. He kind of took his path in front of Kinchel the last minute. Yeah. So he gave the, yeah. the defender nowhere to go. And as a as a defender, you got to hold up on it. And he goes to the sideline. He walks past Pep, and they have a little um, exchange of words. And you can tell Pep is furious with him. Kinchel yeah. is trying to plead his case, and he's saying, like, what are you doing? Like, you have to know better. They're speaking Spanish, I would assume, or Portuguese. But it's like he's explaining to him, like, you can't be doing that. You have to be smarter than that. Like that's a foul. Like you can't. Like he, he basically didn't defend his player, which I don't mind. Yeah. If you, if you if you're the manager, you can't, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to your team every single time because then you'll have no criticism against them. They won't take you seriously. Um, yeah. Like you have to kind of give it back to them when it's due. In this case, Cancelo fucked up. He, you know, rightfully so was 
giving away a penalty shot. The red card thing is the big debate here, but I think we're all in agreement that it's a penalty. Yeah. The, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think, I think yeah. it's for sure, for sure a penalty um, because you, you can't make the case that even though he, he was in an area where he could have played the ball, he still didn't win the ball and he prevented the guy from scoring. Yeah. So it's obviously yeah, yeah, the whole, the whole red card thing. Is touchy. what needs to be kind of yeah. decided. I don't know what the rule is <laughs> because that that's not a penalty. We've, I've been we've been told two different things. <laughs> it's definitely. It, I mean, a hundred percent. It's a uh, PK. Um, but yeah, that's. Um, but again, like like we said, the, uh, if that's a PK, like it is a PK, but then the Alexander Arnold has the to be Arnold PK. thing is the Arnold yeah. thing got me. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> so, yeah, did you see before the first time seeing it? No, I've seen. I it's saw it. Dur- I was watching the game. I was like, yeah, that's a foul. <laughs> Yeah. I don't yeah. get it. Like I was, I was, I was furious. And like I say, because we just watched it earlier in the day or whatever, you know, the day before. Yeah. Uh, the Cancelo thing. So really tough <laughs> from a yeah. Tottenham standpoint. And then um, more PK drama. And then yeah. So towards the end, end of the match, uh, City brings on Haaland with the game at one-one. He comes on. He's basically he scored already, right? He did. And, and this, and then it gets called back on an offside call. But right? then. Oh, I wonder. If, I can't even put my picture. Can you try and find the picture? Because this is the other thing that I think I'm pretty sure they got wrong. I don't think they drew the lines right. Um, <laughs> I wish we had this on video so I could do it like a presentation, <laughs> like in a classroom. Joseph put a PowerPoint together. Um, okay, yeah. No, go to the go to the thing. I'm gonna walk up to the <laughs> TV here. Go ahead, Joe. Well, you can't um, go too far. <laughs> can't go too far. Okay, because I, I explained this to you, but like. You see the red line? Yes. <laughs> okay. So if anyone's looking, just look up where they show the lines. But they draw the line where Holland's knee is. Which is, it's like, yeah, that's where it is. But I'm pretty sure for for like a body part that's not touching the field, they're supposed to draw a line down to the field and then draw the line yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Because that's actually where the line is. This line's actually like whatever it is, probably one or two feet too far to the left. Yeah, because that line, if they're if it's in line with where the knee, if it's in line with where the knee is, that red line's technically probably three or four feet in the air. To be honest, yeah, and that's, if that makes sense. We've seen them do it before, where for bot like when the it's the player's yeah. shoulder and the, or like a player's knee, you actually yeah. see the dotted line, yeah, the dotted line going down to the field, going down to the field. and then that's where the line is. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do it in this case, so. I actually want to know if they just screwed this up because they they didn't do what they normally do for body parts in the air. Yeah. Um, which would have made it go more to the right. Yeah. So that's what I'm a little confused on because you you have to do that to make it accurate because like yeah. you said, it's... Yeah, that because if you draw it that way, that red line is technically like four feet in the air because his knees, like whatever it is, three or four feet in the air, probably not four feet. Cause he's like, well, I don't know. He's super tall. <laughs> he's pro- but no, that red line is that red line is technically hovering three feet in the air. So if you draw a line down to the field and then dr- that's where the parallel line is, it's pretty close to where that defender's right so foot like is. Like the, so they draw the line like here basically. I'm yeah. Cause you're supposed to drop it down and, and then, then, and then you draw the perpendicular draw like here or something. Yeah. And that's where you draw the perpendicular line. Cause that's actually where yeah, the line yeah. is on the field because more, more times than not it's like it's player's foot or something that's yeah already on the ground so yeah, yeah that makes and i've sense. seen it because like when when they're doing like a head ball or a shoulder i've like you see it like almost every single time they'll draw like a line from the guy's shoulder down to the field or whatever it is 
but they drew the line right where the knee is. I'm like, that's not, I don't know if that's correct because you, the line can't be in the air. It has to be like on the field, which is super confusing because that's, it's, it's deceptive because the, the line's not actually that far to the left. It's just in the, it's technically just in the air, which is confusing. Right. Like it, sh- it should be like right here. Like uh, I found another clip or another yeah. picture, sorry, where it is like the red and blue lines yeah. drawn the field. And if you do do a dotted line from his knee down, it's basically on the line where the defender is. Yeah. Like it's, so, it's very, very wait, can close. Can you zoom in a little bit there? Uh, I don't know if I can zoom yeah. on this one. Which is, uh, so I don't know if they changed the rule, but I like definitely can. they, but just based on like, uh, just based on physics, like that's not right. Cause like that red line is three feet in the air right now. Okay. I think if you look closely, I think they have the line going down on the outside of his knee there. Do you see that? Do they? I don't know. I can't see it's it. It's a pretty grainy picture. <laughs> but also, look how thick this red line is compared to this little blue one. Well, I think, which I actually agree <laughs> with this. They did that because they made that line thicker. And if any part of that line touches the blue line, then he's onside. Oh, okay. So that actually makes sense. So from this point of view, it's very tight. Yeah. Like the way it already is. But like, I don't, Santa's saying they did draw the line. I don't see it. No, but that's thing. I don't know if that line coming down is totally accurate. Yeah. Because well, it's the Premier League, so it's probably not. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you want consistency and accuracy, don't go to the Premier. Very League. confusing. I don't think that was done. To, and like, someone can Google it. Let me know. Again, another rule. I'm not. Well, not even a rule. Another method of analysis. I'm not totally 100. percent and it sure sucks about. too. It's a beautiful goal too. Yeah, definitely a goal worth uh, winning a match over, but not the case. But we did see Man City come away with the win later on, ninety fifth minute. Halon takes the PK. Kevin O'Brien gets fouled in the box. Another controversial <laughs> play. I was losing my mind at the TV here. Not just because I didn't think it was a foul, because I do think it was foul, even though it was pretty soft. But like you can't make that challenge in the box. Yeah, and it's just a case again where it's Man City, and I thought they're going to tie Fulham, and I'm like, wow, this is great, and then they, of course they win. Like yeah. why again? Like I take it to Chelsea all the time. Why can't my team get this shit happen to them? Drives me nuts. Yeah, Man City does not need this happen to them. Like here, oh, here's what's because <laughs> it it was honestly very soft. It was very soft, I, I, and I think it might have been a makeup call for the Cancelo thing. It could have been. We've seen that before many, many times in, in the yeah. world of footy. Mm-hmm. My whole thing is that the like VAR and the ref can't not give it. I mean, the the guy wasn't anywhere close to the ball, and he actually kicked De Bruyne in the back. Obviously, it wasn't enough for De Bruyne to actually go down because mm-hmm. I think it was Rob Robinson, the American. Yeah. I so that. I think it's one of those situations you have to give it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you literally got kicked and there was no, yeah, yeah. he wasn't anywhere. As soft as it ball. was, you're gonna go down the situation nine times out of ten. Yeah, if yeah. you're it, it would have gone to VAR anyways if it didn't get called, which they probably would have seen it, the contact made, and of course mm-hmm. it's Kevin De Bruyne too, so yeah. they of course would give the penalty shot. Yeah. Um, but Hallen takes it, scores. Leno again, maybe maybe could have got to this one. Yeah. Um, not his powerful penalty shot that he had last time we saw him take a PK, where his, his yeah. run up just. Shocked the goalie there and didn't even, didn't even let him move. I think it was against Brighton. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but still, nonetheless, Man City come away two one victors. Uh, I don't want to say they deserve the win. They did fight hard when it was they're down to ten men. But again, they're Man City, so how much you know fight can they really do? Like how much mm-hmm. 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, even then depleted to 10 men, like, they're still Man City. Mm-hmm. I mean, they controlled the game really well at, yeah. with 10 men. Yeah, honest. they did. Um, so, yeah, so that was huge, becoming um, off the Arsenal win against Chelsea earlier in the day. Or what, what game was the... When was Chelsea the was Sunday. So, I think Man City played first, so they were top of the okay. table for a bit, so... That's correct, that's correct. So, they did yeah. take the lead at the top of the table. Um, jump forward to Sunday, Arsenal plays Chelsea... Arsenal come away one no victors from a pretty soft goal um, on a corner kick by Saka. Um, I think Gabriel actually tapped it in. Yeah, kind of ran on the goal line. So it was given given Gabriel. They ce- they both kind of celebrated weird. Like mm-hmm. I don't like Saka ran to the, to the corner flag, did like a knee slide. Like he celebrated pretty hard, but like Gabriel clearly kicked it in. <laughs> really? Like oh yeah, like they were both like because like the commentators didn't even know how it went in to be honest. Because uh, yeah. the ball just kind of snuck through in the corner. And then Gabriel like bashed it in the back of the net, but Saka celebrated like it was him, and then Gabriel kind of like a fist pump for himself. It was really strange. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was again, it was the London derby. Chelsea and Arsenal have had major history. I don't think Chelsea's won since like Drogba has been around to seal the deal for us. But kudos to Arsenal; they came out in this game real hot. They they started strong. Chelsea was kind of on the back foot from the get go, um, missing players a little bit for Chelsea too, but. Just, uh, I mean, Arsenal, they, they did a hell of a job. It was only, mm-hmm. only one no victory, but that didn't really justify the scoreline, I don't think. And, like, how the game was played out. Chelsea never really had a chance in this one. Yeah. They, you know, they had their off off chances here and there, but Arsenal always seemed to threaten more, and um, they did a really good job in this game. I, I got to give props to them. Chelsea came up pretty flat. Arsenal and Arteta had a pretty good game plan to shut down Chelsea's offense, and um, they came away with the win. And uh, solidify themselves back at the top of the table. Yeah, I I did see how Arsenal's really starting to play out of the back really well. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Arteta has taken a lot of mythology he learned from his time at City with Pep. Um, but they are looking very dangerous in all aspects of the field. Where I think last season they were missing some of that. Um, but you can see how they're really developing as a team, and. I think with their youth, it's going to be really dangerous going forward um, because, you know, they're a really young team. And if they have that uh, coach in Arteta, that's going to bring that experience being a player and being uh, under pep for a really long time. I think it's going to be really threatening in the Premier League uh, for, for the next little bit, as long as they can keep this going and they mm-hmm. don't have any like major issues happen. Uh, so I think, I think we can see them staying near the top four for for seasons to come if they keep going down this path. Yeah, as long as and obviously rumors come out where it's like, oh, uh, Arteta to Barcelona. It's like all these stuff. But hopefully, I want to see Arteta stay there. I would never take that gig. I know why Barcelona. Why would you go to Barcelona now? Um, no, I really want to see Arteta stay there and just build Arsenal back to the dynasty days that that it was. Um, I would imagine he would do so. Um, but no, yeah, exciting times for Arsenal. I think it's pretty safe to say they're going to finish in the top four, barring a disaster. Um, but no, I would love, I've not, I haven't seen like, uh, a situation where like Fergie and Man U, where he just like takes over a team and like stays there forever. I want that to be Arteta and Arsenal, especially cause he's, he's the first player manager so far, uh, I've seen 
well, outside of Pep, actually, to be honest, with Barcelona, because he, he was a player at Barcelona, and then he coached them, did really well. Arteta is the first one I've seen, because I know there's been a few in the EPL, just player manager coming in and just like really doing a good job. Um, I know last year was a struggle, but he's really doing it this year. So I want to see, see him build a dynasty back at Arsenal. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, it's been a long time. Good point, Joe. Um, Santo, I'm happy you said how young Arsenal is. During the game, I was looking up like the the um, ages for all the players. Arsenal's oldest player, I could be wrong, but I think their oldest player is Xhaka. And he's like 30. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went to Chelsea's and there was like eight guys that are in their 30s. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't even fair. Yeah. Like, yeah. they are super young, very talented. Like, from literally from like the back all the way up, like, Mm-hmm. Like Ramsdale is like under twenty five. Gabriel's like twenty one. Uh, ben White's like twenty three. Saka's twenty one. You know, like Martinelli's twenty two or something. It's it's yeah, absolutely yeah. crazy. Gabriel Jesus has been around the league forever. He's like twenty six. I know. Like yeah. he's been around forever. Like it's absolutely <laughs> Same with Kyle Walker. Walker's been around for fifteen years. And how old is he? Like twenty nine. He's our age. I think he's like thirty one. <laughs> thirty one. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's been there nuts. forever. And like and it's it's great for them. And like our like Joe said, uh, Arteta's been able to mold these players into what Arsenal is now and they actually do finally have an identity. They're a very strong team. They're fast. They're young. Mm-hmm. They're clinical and they can defend well. Yeah. Um, and like that's basically all you want in a team. Maybe the, yes they have more tactical um uh um strategy or they have more tactical um chemistry or what's the word I'm thinking of right now? Um mm, I don't know. Identities. Mm-hmm. They have more about a technical technical identity and tactical identity, but like just from a, as a whole. Like you see the team as a whole, they're a fast, young, exciting team. Mm-hmm. Chelsea is not that. Yeah. Man U is up in in the air right now. Uh, Liverpool is an aging team. Like it's there. Every every team kind of has like their little, like as you see them identity. Mm-hmm. And Arsenal's is youthful, fun, exciting, and like winning games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that for a long time since the Wenger days, obviously, um, way back when. But uh, yeah, no, they're they're a joy to watch, and yeah, I, like I said, kudos to them for this match. They came out uh, pretty strong and um, didn't let up anything. Again, only two one, or sorry, only one nil win against Chelsea. But again, that's that's a huge win for them. Yeah, right. When as when yeah. your when your biggest rival comes against a Fulham side and pulls away two one win the last minute, you have to win against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to keep tied, right? And uh, they were able to pull that off. That was their. How many wins in a row is that? Well, I think because they they, they lost, haven't, they haven't dropped. Sorry, they dropped points against Southampton on the twenty third of October, just in a mm-hmm. in a draw. But I mean, they they haven't lost since nine one one since Man U. Jesus, yeah, since the Man U game. So uh, definitely the hottest side right now in the Premier League. Their next fixture is up against Wolves um, this Saturday before the World Cup break. So. And I was talking to the W up for that one, or that's a huge trap game. Who knows? <laughs> are they at home or away? They are away. Away, away to Wolverhampton, like before the World Cup. Everyone's kind of got their eyes set on the prize for Qatar. I don't know. Could be a trap game. <laughs> uh, let's hope not, though, because I want to see. I want to see these two teams go to the end. Like this, they're yeah. kind of really showing that. I mean, even though Newcastle, oh my God, crazy to say, <laughs> is kind of you know keeping pace with them, just with the. Um, the latest record and their form, they're by far and away the two best teams in the league. Yeah. Like you can separate them from anybody else, put them in their own bracket. Like that's, they're, you know, fundamentally um, the two best teams. So, you know, with, 
after this weekend, there'll be 20, no, 25, 24 games left. 26? No, I think 25. 20, 25. 25. Yeah, well, it's going to depend where, uh, how many games you have played. Because uh, I don't know if they both have most people played. have most people have played fourteen, uh, and there's a bunch of people with thirteen. They'll have fourteen, I think. Um, so yeah, they'll have they'll have fourteen. Um, so yeah, twenty four. Yeah, twenty four. Yeah. yeah, so with twenty four <laughs> games left <laughs> in the season uh, after the World Cup break, it's going to be. It's it still seems like a lot of games twenty four, but it's going to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's going to go by so quick. So we'll really like to see how these two teams. Um, kind of go toe-to-toe towards the end of it. But another team that was keeping pace, like I said, Newcastle, um, man, they're just rolling. You know, 4-1 yeah. win against Southampton. Ralph hassan gets let go after the match from Southampton. We said before this is also maybe a little trap game, like Southampton away. Mm-hmm. One of the toughest, toughest games in the uh, EPL calendar, no matter what team you are. But Newcastle went in there and destroyed them 4-1. Yeah. Like, Very confident them. win. Yeah. Uh, I'm... I'm actually starting to listen to a podcast. Uh, giving a shout out to another podcast here called Santi uh, Peak Performance. Um, they had Eddie Howe on, uh, so I just started it. But they dive into his methodology of uh, managing, and I'm really excited to dive into it. And just from what I've gathered from the intro, is he really started taking the time to really understand his players down to like really understanding their personal lives. And I think that's made a really big difference in how he manages all the players and making the team work together. And I think that's why you see such kind of a team mentality and um, closeness with Newcastle uh, because of how he manages the players. So I'm going to dive into that, uh, kind of take some of that content and share it. I'll give a shout out to them. Or bring it to us. What are they um, called again? It was the podcast? Uh, peak performance. Peak performance. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to find out on his uh, managing style. But yeah, Newcastle is just solid, solid performances right now. Sitting third. Uh, I don't think anyone would have thought with their relegation battles last year that they'd be sitting in third mm-hmm. uh, at this point in the season. No, I mean, I know last year we were talking about like, oh, like I hope to stay up. And then they did stay up uh, pretty, what, they got like 40. They were close to mid-table. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not expecting them. I mean, they're obviously, quote-unquote, challenging for the top four because they're obviously in the top four. Um, and Chelsea, Tottenham, Man U, Liverpool are all more or less having some problems this year. So... You know, it's up. It's it's there for the taking. Uh, you know, who am I to say that they're not going to make top four when they're they're obviously the most consistent team outside of Arsenal, Man City right now. Yeah. Um, and I think especially with a team like Newcastle, uh, because they have nothing nothing to lose, I think there's a lot less pressure on them, mm-hmm. which is going to help them get into the top four because it's like oh, like. Even if we finish fifth and get into Europa, that's still huge for uh, Newcastle. Um, so yeah, I do. They keep this up. Um, I I can see them finishing the top four, which would be awesome. Yeah, unbeaten in ten matches. Throw a couple of draws in there. Their last loss was against Liverpool two one on August thirty first. Um, with a debate asterisk. 
with in the that match. match. Yeah, for sure. What was that one? When it was like six minutes of stoppage time. Oh, yeah. To like the 99th yeah. minute is like, what they, is going on? Yeah. Um, so that's, only, that's the one and only loss in the season. So seven wins, six draws. Um, six draws is second most in the league behind Brentford, sitting, sitting in 11th place. So, I mean, you do really have to get wins to get, you know, maximum amount of points, like no shit, Sherlock. But to get six draws against, you know, a, a draw, there's always a story behind a draw. Mm-hmm. Whether you're trailing late in the game or you, you know, you come out flat against a team that maybe should be beating you or whatever the case is. You have to look at draws situationally as as a win sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to label it the same because obviously a two-point difference is huge. But by them being able to still get points from, like, all the games that they can, seven wins, six draws, it puts them in third place for the for the season. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, look at Liverpool, who has four losses in the season. I'm sure they'd want to turn those into draws too. Yeah. Right? And they come away with maybe 25 points instead of being in eighth place with 19. Same with Chelsea, four losses for them. Um, Like, it's... it. Like I said, every draw kind of tells a story. And like for Newcastle standpoint, if you can't get the wins that you deserve or might get, it draws the next best thing. And they're mm-hmm. kind of keep that mentality going. And then, like I said, in the last 10 matches, they're unbeaten. I think there's three ties in those 10 matches. So the rest coming from wins, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good run. And uh, they're sitting in third place for a reason. And yeah, you can maybe throw the the influx of money you know, discussion in there, but I mean, look at the, look at all these other teams. Like Man City was kind of a nobody before the Etihad mm-hmm. came in, right? Uh, Chelsea, oh. same thing with Abramovich. They weren't <laughs> look at Man Menu spent like I don't even know how much money, right? But it's yeah. also like we said before, it's also you could buy all the players in the world like you want, but if they don't work or fit a system, yeah, then it's not going to happen. Menu spent uh, like, tons of money, and like most of them ended up leaving for free. But yeah, <laughs> real quick point to that, I think. Six of the ten outfield players right now in Newcastle are just players that Eddie Howe uh, inherited from Bruce when he was there. So, you know, they have made some additions. And the additions they made haven't been, like, crazy. Yeah. You know, like, they got, they got Trippia. They got... Gmarish. Uh, Gmarish. Uh, Who's playing for Brazil in the World Cup this yeah. year. Yeah, they got uh, the striker there from uh, from Burnley, I think. Uh, the big guy. Oh, Wood. 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 Chris Wood. So, you know, they, they obviously made like really good additions, but they were like methodical additions and it wasn't like a splash of c- c- cash, right? They didn't yeah. go get Hazard right away, which I think still he would be a good addition in Newcastle, but or like some massive signing. They added players, but they were they were good. So it's not like they did a massive overhaul of all these like super expensive players. Mm-hmm. Like Joe said last week, they didn't grab a Rubinho, right? Yeah, they yeah. didn't go spend 90 million on Rubinho. But they did spend $65 million on Isak, so yeah. we'll see how he pans out when he gets healthy mm-hmm. um, when he comes back. I don't even know if he's going to be in is Sweden in the World Cup. No, they're not, right? Sweden? Yeah, no. No? I don't think so. He would have sure. been there. If, if they were playing, he would have been there for sure mm. um, as their starting striker. So uh, he'll take the time off, obviously, too, and recover. This is also another good thing we can talk about as well. Like, players gone away on injury, you have a whole month to recover. Um, yeah. You know, with the World Cup happening, uh, Reese James just announced that he won't be able to make the England side. It's devastating for him. Uh, Pogba with with France. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, Angola Conte, he's gonna miss the French. Uh, I think Mane. Well. There's Delta Mane now. Yep. Ooh, it's gonna help Canada. Hmm. It's gonna help Canada out. Mane. 
Yeah, is he is he in Canada's group? Who's in Canada's group? Morocco? No, he's he's from Senegal. Yeah, he's played Senegal. So Morocco's in. Oh, those I thought Senegal was in our group. No, it's, no. Morocco, right, it's Morocco, Belgium, and Croatia. You're right. I thought it was Senegal, uh, Belgium, yeah. Croatia. Uh, so I got to brush up on my <laughs> World Cup facts before we do our our podcast uh, <laughs> episode recording pretty soon. Um, yeah, I think we'll probably focus more on Canada and like England and just like big stories that because mm-hmm. that's just kind of what we know. I could be focusing on Italy. There's, I Santo, I was trying to avoid that. I was, <laughs> not going to be focusing it, on Italy. I was saying it without saying it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> God damn it. All right, Newcastle four one against Southampton. Uh, Hassan Hoodle, he's gone. That kind of that's kind of tough. He's always been a fiery manager. He's always fun to watch on the sideline, but uh, his four year tenure at Southampton has ended. He'll get another job somewhere, probably. Yeah, I would um, imagine. He's Austrian. Maybe he goes back to Austria and does some some um, meditating there or something, or maybe some, take some time to himself, or maybe he'll be back in England coaching one of these sides that are going to drop points, but. Yeah, Arsenal. Oh, sorry, Southampton in the relegation zone. You get smashed four one at home. It's it's there's yeah. no other time right now. And I think this. I think we might see this more leading up to the World Cup as well because, like, what better time? You're getting a free month break. Yeah. To maybe fire a manager or change the team around a little bit in house while you can, mm-hmm. and you can do your due diligence and find somebody else, and you have four weeks until the next game. Yeah. So we'll see, maybe there might be like a trend coming in the la- in the next week or so of some managerial moves or just some in-house cleaning by some clubs to uh, try and pull themselves out of relegation or, you know, just find a new identity. I mean, Bournemouth is down there. Nottingham Forest, Wolves have already changed their manager. Uh, West Ham with, with David Moyes in 15th place, only, you know, two points clear relegation. That could be another another um, manager on the out. We've talked mm-hmm. about Brendan Rodgers before. He's kind of pulled Leicester City out of the relegation battle into into 14th place as well. So who knows, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot to get to still just in this shortened season. But the last match we'll talk about, um, actually, no, two more matches. Uh, Villa beats Man U. Unai Emery's return to the Premier League, taking over Aston Villa from Steven Gerrard at home. They destroy Man U 3-1. I put money on this game thinking Man U was going to win. I fucked that one up. Uh, so thanks, guys. But uh, I think the one of the weirdest takeaways was that Ronaldo's made captain for this game mm-hmm. by Ten Hag, mm-hmm. which is questionable in my eyes. Um, you have this whole player controversy of how important he is to the team and how he feels about playing for the team and his role on the team. He sat out games, he's benched, and then he gets made captain. Yeah. I what, think, a, what about that? I saw. I don't even. That, I'm not even gonna say because I don't even know. Like, I just saw something online about like why Tenag made him captain. I'm not even gonna say it's probably not even true. It's about like how like <laughs> well I can't play this person because they're on the bench. I can't. This person can't be captain because X Y Z. And it's on thinking about it, it's probably not even true. Um, but it lands on him to yeah, it just lands on one, him. Like, I mean, it could have been. <laughs> who's also starting that game? I'm yeah, sure. Look it up right now. Like obviously Rashford wasn't starting. It's the other person, you know. Um. Luke Shaw, like Dehea, could have been Dehea, could have yeah. Luke Shaw, Erickson, like, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? It's one of those things. I mean, it's. I mean, the captaincy is important, but like, um, 
in retrospect, it's probably not like just reading into something that's probably yeah, not. probably. But I just thought it was an interesting storyline because, like I said, he's had all this drama uh, around <laughs> now around him, and now he's the captain for the for the game, and they get yeah. dusted three one um, against a team that really needed the managerial bump. And we've seen it many times before. I should have looked more into it, knowing that this is Unai Emery's first game in charge for Villa. It's at Villa Park. Everything's against them. And then they come out and beat Man U 3-1. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my own mistake for betting on that game. Actually, I paired it together with a Newcastle game, so I needed both teams to win. And mm. you know, mm-hmm. Here we go. First and last time betting on United. Uh, but yeah, it, it's maybe this is you know the, the jump that Villa needs um, to claw themselves out of the spot that they're in. When Jared left, they had 12 points. They were kind of closer to the relegation zone. With that win, they are sitting in 13th, 15 points. And again, we've talked, we've talked about so many times about the, the Premier League battle where it's you have you know the top teams going for Europe, you have the bottom clubs that are trying to avoid relegation zone, and then we have like the money spots, right? Mm-hmm. In the middle of the table where you look from 9th place to 14th place, it's only a 5-point difference or a 5-place difference, but it's worth 40 million pounds or whatever mm-hmm. it is difference, right? So it really does matter where you finish in the league. And some teams might have higher aspirations than others about where they finish in the season. You know, because some teams like, you know, um, Nottingham Forest or Leeds, they want to just be out of relegation zone. They just don't want to mm-hmm. get relegated. Mm-hmm. But a side like Leicester or a side like, not me, not Leicester, a side like Crystal Palace want to be top 10 because that's more money. Mm-hmm. Um, Villa wants to be, you know, top 12. That's like their goal. Uh, Leeds, you know, Fulham. They want to be in a certain place and like finishing in eighth place for Fulham would be a huge victory for them. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So maybe Villa with the direction that Gerard was heading by them being in 16th place, maybe their goal is top 10. And if they don't achieve that goal, then that's a reason to be sacked. Mm-hmm. So we never really goes on. We don't really know what goes on in house and with what managerial objectives that are set forth towards them at the beginning of the season. But I mean, it's a business, right? It's a cutthroat business, obviously. And if you're not meeting expectations, then you kind of have to get out of there and next guy in. Unai Emery leaves Villarreal, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Villarreal. So, like, another manager, like, similar to Graham Potter, leaving his team at beginning of season, mid-season, however you want to put it, to jump ship to another team. I don't really know if that's, like, the best thing to do, if it looks the greatest on you. But (laughs) um, for him to go back to the Premier League where he did see some success with Arsenal... Um, finishing in Champions League positions, but then obviously being put on his way out for Arteta to come in, take over the reins, and we've seen what he's been able to do there. Uh, to have just another personality like his in the Premier League is always fun, and maybe he can you know be the one to turn Villa around. Jared did have a short tenure there, but maybe Imery can you know find his place at Villa and push him back into that top ten battle. Yeah, I. I'm honestly surprised Manu got crushed this game with just how well they've been performing uh, and how they're actually starting to play with the team. I was actually really surprised because uh, it's just kind of the old Manu that we've seen that just can't get consistent results. Um, might just be one of those games, so uh, we'll see. But uh, I really thought they were just kind of getting to that point where, you know, they would just consistently put in performances, pick up points. Um, to lose this game is gonna be a really big blow to their their momentum. Um, but if they can they can come back from this and just string together another good set of results and it'll show a lot um, and speak a lot to their character. Uh, so 
I think they're they're going to benefit from this month off. Um, we'll see which uh, Man U comes back from and, the World Cup. And they're going to Craven Cottage for the last match, which is a tough spot to be at, too. Mm-hmm. Heading to the cottage. Mm. Yeah. Joe, what do you think? I know you love the cottage. Uh... <laughs> Joe loves the cottage. <laughs> love the cottage. <laughs> I don't even know. Who's Craven Cottage again? Fulham. Oh, I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said before you like you like that stadium or something. No, I love you, Santa. I like the White Hart Lane. Oh, okay, class. Yeah, yeah. That's it's like that's I, don't know, I don't even know. I don't even know at Craven Cottage. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were a big cottage guy. I was hyping you up. Like I was. Think, I was like, it's not. Okay, no, that makes sense. <laughs> um, they might lose that game. Full yeah. playing well. Yeah. Um, to be honest. So I don't know. I mean, you if you're man, you the last thing you want is to go into the World Cup break with two losses. That's just not great for morale. Um, I think psychologically going into the World Cup on a high is just really important for team morale. Um, yeah, and like you said, we'll see. It'll be interesting with Manu. I think they have a decent amount of people going to or players going to the World Cup. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things. I don't know which Manu is going to show up second half of the season. Was that more on Ten Hag or the players? Um, I have Ten Hag's done a good job so far. I think um, the way he's put his foot down and kind of managed all the because let's be honest, Man U had a lot of personal. They have a lot of personalities on the team, and he's kind of come in and said like, "No, like I'm the boss, and like I'm going to show you, like I'm going to tell Ronaldo what's up, and make sure he." like stays in line with how I want how I want to do things which is good to have yeah because that's they were lacking discipline for a, l- forever, a long time forever yeah um so they needed that so I think right now it's um I think the players just have to like show up and show that grit um maybe this is a one-off result because like Santa said they have been playing well um so yeah we'll just see if they can get out of the slump mm-hmm. and for their start to the season as poor as it was they, I think the fan base should be satisfied with where they're at right now in fifth place, 23 points, um, only three back from the fourth place Tottenham. I think they should be happy because this is unknown territory to them for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like they have been shit, the yeah. last, you know, for the last two seasons at least, where they're battling for eighth place, battling for ninth place. Um, they squeaked into uh, Europa League mm-hmm. just last season, and I think the last match day of the year. So for them to be in fifth place right now, still you know, still uh, in sights of the um, the the Champions League places, I don't I don't think it's a success because obviously with like Man U has aspirations of always getting top four, trying to go for titles. Mm-hmm. This team does not, but this team is not cut out for that yet. But in the rebuilding stage of, that they're in, I think they should be satisfied with like where they're at. Maybe yeah. not like with how it's, it's tough because it's like, are you satisfied with where you're at or how you're playing? Like, what would you, like, what would you rather be like? Mm-hmm. Like, would you rather be in fifth place and like comfortably, comfortably there, or would you rather be like a good team, but then the results like haven't gone your way, kind of thing? Like, you're playing good, but like you're just not getting the breaks. Or would you rather be like uh, in fifth place and be like a good team? I don't know. I think results matter. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. I guess yeah. It's always going to be results. Um, That's what your managerial career is based on too, right? Yeah. And I think the only caveat is if you know at this point, um, it's tough with Man U because they are technically still rebuilding. So I think you can get some comfort knowing that you have a plan in place to like with Ten Hag. 
uh it's just tough i mean that's it, i think they're just so impatient at this point that they're like okay like we want to get results now we gotta get into champions league i don't think the i mean who knows three weeks ago we were saying how man U is like the most likely out of tottenham chelsea and liverpool right now to be in the top four but i think it's gonna be way too difficult to tell because they're all all of them are way too inconsistent i would if i had to pick one i think tottenham's probably the most consistent but they're uh their style isn't necessarily the best and they kind of eke out wins, which is uh, a little bit tough to sustain. So I have no idea who's going to finish in the top four, to be honest. Well, Joe, that's a fantastic segue into our last match of the weekend. Tottenham versus Liverpool. You say Tottenham has been in key form and consistent. They have three losses in the last five matches. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> going, against the, going against the Liverpool side who... <laughs> Have the opposite results: three wins in their last five, with two uh, two losses. Liverpool came out on top on this one, um, two one victors. Is it their biggest win in the season? I thought Man City was their biggest win of the season, but that win turned out to like not mean anything because it went That's on a losing I mean. streak after that. Like, obviously, <laughs> winning against Man City, yeah, like we touched on when that happened. Uh, that was probably match day like twelve or something. Uh, nine uh, match day 11 is on october the 16th so almost a almost a full month ago is that one mm. no win against man city but we said how that was probably like their kickoff start to like a momentum boost and they're going to play very well not the <laughs> case. lose two out of the next three games yeah not the case so i think this might be their biggest win because it was um just at this point of the season just before the world cup break as well as just who you're going against like because you're not battling man city at this point mm-hmm. right like you have to kind of check yourself a little bit and say okay you know the gap to man city right now um even with that win that they had because obviously man city got their win their gap to city is 13 points um yeah both have played 13 matches so you know matches are even evenly played you're down over four wins against a team that you know you've been battling with for the last couple of years you got a good result against this season is you know arguably the biggest win um on paper i guess but yeah. you are battling against tottenham like a tottenham yeah. is a team that you do have to chase down and catch because they're seven points or yeah seven points ahead of you with one game in hand yeah. so again you get liverpool the win let's say that's only four points back same amount of games played 14 matches this is the team that you have to win against mm-hmm. and for them to be able to do it um i think it was was it at home uh yeah, it was at uh, it was no, at was Anfield. At... Was it Wrong no again? White Hart Lane. Wrong again. No, no. The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The new White Hart Lane. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So for yeah. them to walk in there in you know in the heart of London to go against Tottenham, who have you know yeah they haven't been informed, but they've been in the top four basically all season mm-hmm. and playing very very well. Harry Kane's had a resurgence of a year. Um, team to score every single game that he plays. Uh, Son obviously doing very well there as well. For them to come in and do that, I think it is their biggest win of the season so far. Mm-hmm. And you, you can see Klopp on the sideline just like giving it to the crowd, giving it to him, you know, his uh, his coaching staff and being all jacked up like he always is. So I think this one might be, again, the momentum booster that they really do need. But I think we touched on a couple weekends or a couple weeks ago on the podcast, podcast saying how some teams would want the break to happen now and some teams wouldn't. Mm-hmm. If Liverpool get the win against Southampton this weekend, I think this is like where they would want 
to keep going. Yeah. Right. And I think four weeks ago or three weeks ago, I said Liverpool needs a break. Like, they need to like chill the fuck out. They need to reassess themselves, reevaluate. They need a month long break. Mm-hmm. If they get the winning at Southampton, um, come this this weekend. I think they're going to be shooting themselves in the foot saying like, oh God, like why is this happening now? Yeah. Like, we have momentum. We're pushing forward. You know, we can see Tottenham in our sights. But I mean, this is obviously a one-off year that we're going to see. Um, it's never happened before in the Premier League season. We've had like a one-month break mm-hmm. um, due to um, an actual schedule, scheduling conflict, not because of like COVID restrictions or anything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think they're going to, be chomping at the bit to get back and obviously they're going to they're have players go away in the world cup and hopefully they all get back safe and healthy um, for the next push of the season. But yeah, I think they came out to this game and uh, it wasn't dominant performance by them, but it's still a, a win's a win and they really needed one and just had to happen to come against Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's it's weird with Liverpool right now because it does look like they're showing up for like these massive games. I think the whole complacency thing we talked about in the past is really starting to affect them when they're going to games that I think they always expected to win in the past and they're just not getting the results. Not in force. Um yeah. So I think it's it's going to really come down to the players on starting to realize that you know you you need to show up um because you can't keep dropping points to teams below you. Mm-hmm. Or you're never gonna you're never gonna make any progress. Um, so again, we'll see where this win takes them. But I I personally don't see Liverpool finishing top four, um, even with this result against Tottenham. But we'll we'll see because there's always yeah. always surprises. And I think because I know, yeah, because I know one of the pundits was saying how uh, Liverpool there was that gap last year where Liverpool was. A, like I don't even know how many points behind City for the title race, and we thought it was done. And then City went on a tough streak, and then Liverpool caught up. I think the tough thing this year is that you're battling Arsenal and City, mm-hmm. and their City and Arsenal are going to be putting pressure on each other to win every single game. So I don't foresee either of those teams because really, like let's be honest. Though, if you're a top team like that, those losing streaks happen more so because you get complacent. Um, Mm -hmm. I would imagine. Uh, because if City, if City lost twice last year and Arsenal was ahead of them, they're like, no, we like we can't lose another game, yeah, or whatever it is. Um, so it's gonna be very, very tough for Liverpool to (laughs) to a. It's gonna be tough for them to claw their way uh, to the top four. I mean, that won't be as hard, obviously, because math. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it's going to be very difficult for uh, for them to get back in the title race at this point, just to be totally honest. Yeah, their gap to Arsenal is uh, 15 points. Like I said, that's five wins. Man City is four wins and a draw away. Like it's There's going to mm-hmm. be a lot for them to go. A lot has to go their way for them to get to that point in the season where they can say, oh my God, like we've done so well. We're fighting for the title because those teams ahead of you have to drop points. Like You can't yeah. control what's ahead of you. Yeah, you know, you can say that as long as you want. The beginning of the season is super crucial because it's a very long season, and if you get behind the eight ball early, you're you're dead. Yeah, you know, we've seen it with Liverpool this season. We've seen it with Chelsea in the past, finishing you know eleventh place or whatever the hell it was mm-hmm. that one season where they just played terribly. <laughs> yeah, after winning the winning the title, <laughs> won, the, year won the title, and then finished eighth. It's like what was it eighth? I said eleventh. <laughs> God, it, was, it might as well have been eleventh. Um, 
eight and 11, not much difference to be honest. Like no. you don't really get anything. <laughs> if you're Chelsea, be, it's the same. <laughs> maybe 20 million pounds difference. Um, yeah, I think, I think they will be able to, I don't even know about getting Europe now just because of the way that Newcastle's playing, right? You have a new yeah. threat at the top of the table, um, making it, you know, a pretty congested six team, six to seven team, you know, fight for Europe. Someone's going to be out. Yeah. There's always going to be an odd man out right now. It's Chelsea in seventh, Liverpool in eighth, Brighton sitting there in sixth place, two points behind um, United. I mean, maybe they can get to Europa League. Who knows? I mean, Brighton usually does tail off towards the end of the season. We've seen them before, even like last year, them and Brentford were mm-hmm. kind of sitting, you know, in that top six, top seventh place up until almost Christmas. And then we really saw the table kind of get into um, the way it should be and kind of play out the way, the way we think it was going to. Again, I can't say I can't say that enough. The year, the World Cup is going to be a huge stoppage of play, obviously, and it's going to really change the vibe of the season. Depending on what happens at the World Cup, depending on what happens to players, performance, form, coming back, whatever the case is, it's literally like Joe said before many times. It's going to be a tale of two seasons, mm-hmm. and it's something we haven't seen before. And I mean, like you can't make predictions. You know, you can't. Like, it's tough to say what's going to happen because. We're done playing for a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. We have a game. We have games on the 12th and 13th of November, and then we don't come back until Boxing Day, I think. Yeah. The 26th of December. So, come that time, we will check back in with the Premier League. We will have one more episode coming out, wrapping up this weekend's action uh, that we've released next week. But I think now, I think we're going to dive into this FIFA video movie thing. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. So, like I said before, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We have the Footy Fans Podcast. We will tune in next week after all the weekend's action. See you, everyone. See you. Ciao.